The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome. Welcome, fellow pilgrims. You are beloved. Today we're going to deal with, again, a very difficult subject. Lord Jesus, as we come to this time of worship and broadcast, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come in mighty power that you would break every illusion of the world, every deception, that you would uncover our hearts, that, Lord, you would teach us your ways. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Were you listening to Pilgrim's Progress? I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to read for you Matthew 21. I'll begin with verse 22. 28. I'll begin with verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind, and he went. Then the father went to the other son, and he said the same thing, and he answered, Oh, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. 
For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. The great danger we face is that we will choose to harden our heart against the Holy Spirit, that we will be so caught up in the responsibilities of life, so caught up in the pleasures that things that we enjoy, so caught up with pleasing other people that we won't do what Jesus has asked us to do. The Lord is saying the prostitutes know their desperate condition. They know they're sinners. And when I offered them a way out, they took it. When the wicked saw a way out, they took it. But you, who consider yourself as righteous, did not take the way out. You did not do the will of the Father. Yesterday I shared with you that I have had one great sin in my life. A sin for which I have grieved and wept and repented. And that great sin that I've had in my life has been unbelief. It's been pride. Unbelief expresses itself in many different ways. Walking with our own agenda. Being full of ourselves and what we want, what our thoughts are. Thinking we can look for ourselves and see the reality of what's happening. And we can make decisions about what we need to do and how we need to do it. This issue of unbelief comes out of a, an understandable place because I've not seen the person of Jesus except in vision. Jesus has not walked into my studio or my bedroom or my kitchen or my living room. I pray he does soon. I'm praying for a meeting with Jesus. That's the longing and desire of my heart. But look, we have to be real. Most of us have responsibilities in life. And so we're about taking care of those. Because our days are filled with Actions, responsibilities, enjoyments, hard work, pleasure. We come at night. Unfortunately, some of you come at night after spending several hours in front of the television. Your mind is dead and numbed. You've been spoon-fed. You've been seared by the world and the devil. And you drop into bed. And then tomorrow is basically the same as today. Your heart is filled with unbelief. Now, this is such a serious subject that the writer of the book of Hebrews dedicated two entire chapters to talk about this unbelief. We find it in Hebrews, the third chapter. He says, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but he was without sin. Now, because of that, he says, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, 
the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Now, some of you have a prayer life. Some of you have a life of prayer. You understand the difference. Some of you have a prayer life where you will go into your prayer closet, your war room, and you will pray about very specific things, and God will meet you by the Spirit. And it's very worthwhile time. And your life changes. But long term, we're not called to have a prayer life. The Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. Well, how do we pray without ceasing? We have a life of prayer. And now everything we do, everything we say, comes out of that inner life of prayer. So when we're at work, we're conscious of the presence of God. And we are in communion with him even as we are doing our work because we are speaking with Jesus in our spirit and in our heart. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix them, attach them. He is the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful, the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. He's talking about Moses was a servant in the house of God. But now he's saying, you are the house, and Jesus is ministering to you. Christ is faithful, verse 6, as a son over God's house, and we are his house. This is Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 10, for those of you who are just joining us. Now, in verse 7, he begins to dive in. As the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert when your fathers tested and tried me. That word testing, it means putting to proof. It's a saying it's it's testing to see what the metal is it's testing to see what the value is and he's saying that in the desert you tested me for 40 years you saw what i did that is why i was angry with that generation That word angry could easily be translated, and probably better so, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. That is, their hearts are always roaming. They don't find, they don't find their rest in me. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now that word rest means literally, yes, to cease, to stop, but it's much more than that. It's to repose down. It's to lay down. It's, you're not going to enter my bedroom. You're not going to be intimate with me. You're never going to get that chance. 
Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving, unbelieving heart or faithless heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened, literally in the Greek, rendered stubborn by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Unbelief is the core sin of the human heart. We want to be in charge. We want to do it our way. We want to be in charge of the how. That's God's business. He's the one who will lead us, who will guide us, if we will fix our eyes on Jesus. But this is not easy. I've said to you, this is the major sin of my life. It's that... I'm not talking about believing that the Scriptures are true. I've always believed that. I'm not talking about somehow not believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I've always believed that. But there's a great gap, a great distance between intellectually believing something and then in our heart believing it and walking it out and putting our weight down on it. It's like the story I heard when I was just a boy that that was very powerful for me. My dad told the story that he said he had read somewhere about a great man who came to demonstrate his prowess walking the tightrope. And so they put the cable across the Niagara Falls. And this man, it was advertised everywhere, he was going to walk across. And so he walked out into the middle of the Niagara Falls on that on that wire above it, did all kinds of dances, came back and he said, anybody here who believes that I can actually cross all the way over to the other side? Well, everybody in that large crowd said, yes, yes, you can do it. He said, okay, bring the wheelbarrow. They brought him a wheelbarrow. Do you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. Well, yes. Good. Which one of you are willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let me take it across the Niagara Falls? Not one person. Oh, no. I'm not getting in that wheelbarrow. I know you can do it, but I'm not going to trust my life with you. Likewise. We know Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. But are you going to get in the wheelbarrow? Are you going to go to the cross? Are you going to believe him? Are you going to actually believe that there is a resurrection on the other side and that you will be totally happy in Jesus? Or do you still believe that your happiness is found 
in your sports, in your rituals, in your human relationships? Are you still believing that your happiness is found in making money? Do you still believe that your happiness is found in being what you want to be and doing what you want to do? Or do you actually believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. It would have taken a lot of faith for a man to climb in that wheelbarrow and let that magician walk across the the wire, pushing that wheelbarrow. would have taken a lot of faith. Well, believe me, it takes a lot of faith to put all of your confidence in Jesus Christ. We know the message. We've heard it. We've agreed with it. We've said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Yes, Jesus, I love you. But will you walk it out? Will you combine that belief with faith and trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? I want to share with you a very fine example of what I'm talking about. It's found in a book by Charles Finney called Holy Spirit Revivals. And I want to share with you a part of his conversion. Um, Listen as I share with you. One Sunday night in the autumn of 1821, I made up my mind that I would settle the question of my soul's salvation, and if it were possible, I would make my peace with God. This is something absolutely necessary, and I'm calling you to it today. To settle the question of your soul's salvation. Not to settle the question of will you accept Jesus. Many who accept Jesus will go to hell. The question is not, will I accept Jesus? The question is, will Jesus accept me? He makes the decision that he will make peace with God. However, as I was very busy in the affairs of the office, I knew that I would never attend to the subject with any real result unless I was determined Therefore, I resolved then and there, as far as possible, to avoid all business and everything that would divert my attention in order to give myself wholly to the work of securing the salvation of my soul. I carried this resolution into execution as sternly and thoroughly as I could. You know, what that might look like today is... You turn off every outside influence. You maybe even take some vacation time. And you let your family know what you're doing and why. And then you go in your room and you shut the door and no one comes in or goes out. And you stay there and you make your peace with God for your soul salvation. I've done this. As the province of God would have it, I did not have much work to do either on Monday or Tuesday of that particular week. And so I had the opportunity to read my Bible and engage in prayer most of that time. 
but I was very proud without knowing it. I had supposed that I didn't care much about others' opinions of me. I had, in fact, been quite obvious in attending prayer meeting and paying attention to religion while in Adam's. In this respect, I had led the church at times to think that I must be an anxious inquirer. But when I had to face the question, I found that I was very unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. I want you to see in Charles Finney's life, he exhibits the fact that there is quite a difference between being interested in Jesus, being religious, and having done what is necessary to secure the salvation of your soul, which includes a total giving over of your life and means a total giving up of all that is not of Jesus, a cutting off of everything that does not lead you to Jesus, that distracts you. He says, when I prayed, I would only whisper my prayer. After having plugged the keyhole in the door, lest someone should discover that I was engaged in prayer. Before that time, my Bible lay on the table with the rest of my law books. It had never occurred to me to be ashamed of being found reading any more than I should be ashamed of having been found reading any other book. But after I had addressed myself in earnest to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as I could. If I was reading it when anyone came in, I would throw my law books on top of it to create the impression that I had not held it in my hands. Instead of being outspoken and willing to talk with anyone and everyone on the subject as before, I found myself unwilling to converse with anybody. I did not want to see my minister because I didn't want to let him know how I felt, and I had no confidence that he would understand my case and give me the direction that I needed. For the same reasons, I avoided conversation with the elders of the church or with any of the Christian people. I was ashamed to let them know how I felt. On the other hand, I was afraid they would misdirect me. I felt myself left only to the Bible. Now, during Monday and Tuesday, my convictions increased. But still, it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer if I could be alone, where I could use my voice and express myself. I was shy and avoiding speaking to anybody on any subject as much as I could, and I made sure not to arouse any suspicion that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. Tuesday night, I became very nervous. And in the night, a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I died, I would sink down into hell. But I quieted myself as best I could until morning. Now, I want you to see something in this story. As we begin to respond to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, I will be serious with you about my soul salvation and I will do whatever is necessary to make certain of my soul salvation. As the conviction begins to grow in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit who gives to us both the gift of conviction and the gift of tears, Yes, tears are a gift. Some of you listening to this broadcast have not cried in years. Your heart is as hard as stone, but you are extremely religious. 
If you have not cried in years, you have a very, very hard heart. Many years ago, when I started this journey to secure the salvation of my soul, I had not cried for probably 20 years. My heart was utterly like stone, and I knew it was stone, and I knew it had to change. I could not make myself cry. That was something God had to do in me. My heart was hard, but I was determined I would find Jesus. And that's when I set apart an hour a day from 10 to 11 o'clock, and I went to my prayer closet. I left my office at the church. I went to my office or my home. I went to my bedroom. I shut the door, and I got down on my face before God. And that hour grew into two, three, four, five, six, sometimes 10 hours or longer. And the Lord broke my heart up. And I began to weep. Finney goes on, at an early hour on Wednesday, I started for the office. But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me as if an inward voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was open to me in, in a marvelous manner. I think then saw as clearly as I ever have in my life, the reality and the fullness of the atonement of Jesus. I saw that his work is a finished work and that instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus' salvation. Seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete. And all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Christ. Instead of being a thing to be brought about by my own works, salvation was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who presented himself before me as my God and my Savior. Without being distinctly aware of it, I had stopped in the street right there where the inward voice had first come upon me. How long I remained in that position, I cannot say. But after I had contemplated this distinct revelation for a while, the inner voice seemed to ask, will you accept it now, today? I replied, yes, I will accept it today or I will die in the attempt. Now, north of the village and over a hill lay a stretch of woods in which I walked almost daily when the weather was pleasant. It was now the 10th of October, and the time was past for my frequent walks there. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course toward the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on earth who would have suspected such a thing had he seen me going. But so great was my pride and so much was I possessed with the fear of man that I sculled along the fence until I got so far out of sight that no one from the village could possibly see me. I then made my way into the woods nearly a quarter of a mile 
went over the other side of the hill and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between them. There I saw I could make a kind of closet. I crept into this place, and I knelt down for prayer. As I turned to go into the woods, I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God, or I will never come down from here. I recall repeating this as I went up. I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But now in my place, I attempted to pray. And I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if it could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard, I could pray freely. But when I tried, I was mute. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to say to God. Or at least I could only say a couple of words and those without any heart, without any passion. In attempting to pray, I would hear a a rustling in the leaves and would stop and look up to see if somebody was coming. I did this several times. Finally, I, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God. It will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods. When I tried, I found I could not give my heart to God. My soul hung back. My heart was in no way going out to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late, that I was past hope and that God must have given up on me. I then began to think my promise rash, that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if there was a binding upon my soul, and yet now I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me, and I felt almost too weak to get up on my knees. Just at that moment, I again thought I heard someone approaching. I opened my eyes to see whether it was so. But then, just as distinctly, it was shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God, took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice, and I exclaimed that I would not leave that place if all the men on earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am, on my knees confessing my sins to the great and holy God? How can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like me, find me on my knees endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down before the Lord. Just at that point, the scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light. Then you will pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Somehow I knew that this was a passage of Scripture, though I do not think I'd ever read it. I knew that it was God's word and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never have I known the faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state 
Now, I want to stop there. This is what I'm trying to talk to you about. I have all of my life believed intellectually that the Bible was true. I have studied theology, undergraduate and graduate levels. I have read the Bible through many times. But where the divergence comes is between the intellectual understanding in our mind and what we actually believe and hold to in our heart, where we voluntarily trust Jesus with our inner spirit, where we say, Lord, I trust you. Even if I die, I trust you. Now, in more recent times, I've said, Lord, my life is yours. My heart is yours. My love is yours. Whatever you want to do with me is all right. Just order my steps. And I have such peace in my heart. I have such an overwhelming peace and trust in my spirit. I don't struggle anymore. The struggle's over. It's not hard for me anymore to be a follower of Jesus. You see, I have a lot more on the other side than I have on this side. I don't have anything on this side. (laughs) I don't have anything that binds me. I don't have anything that holds me here except my love for Jesus and to do his bidding. That's everything. He says, I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. Some of you can't figure out why you can't leave your sin. Because an intellectual faith will not take you out of your sin. The only thing that will take you out of your sin is to put your trust in Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I'm not going to offend you anymore. I am not going to harden my heart against you. Now listen. I cried to him, Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I'm searching for you with all of my heart and that I've come here to pray to you and you have promised to hear me. This seemed to confirm that I could indeed fulfill my vow that very day. The Spirit seemed to emphasize this idea in the words, in the words when you search for me with all your heart. I told the Lord that I would take him at his word, that I knew he could not lie, that I was therefore sure that he heard my prayer and that I would find him. He then gave me many other promises from both the Old and the New Testament, especially some regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. I never can in words make any human being understand how precious and true those promises appeared to me. I took them one after another as infallible truth, the assertions of God who cannot lie. They did not seem to fall into my intellect as much as into my heart. To be put within the grasp of the voluntary powers of my mind, I took hold of them and I fastened upon them with the grasp of a drowning man. I continued to pray in this way and to receive and take hold of promises for a long time. 
I don't know how long. Look, let's be very straight. Many of you pray and there is no answer. And there is no answer because you are praying out of your intellect. I've found, I don't understand all of this, but I have found that until I begin to pray out of my heart, often broken with tears, not much will happen in the spirit realm for me. That when I begin to get very serious about the hurt of my heart, the longing of my heart, my hunger for him, and I begin to express that, and I make that commitment to walk in his will and to walk in his promises, and I stand by faith on those promises, then the assurance of God comes and says, okay, Ray, I've heard you, and I'll answer. And I know then it's done. Why does it take so long to have God answer our prayers? Because we're too big for God to answer our prayers. We're too filled with importance, with self. This morning in the prayer closet, I was saying, Lord, I'm sensing that I'm in your way. Would you move me out of your way? And I began to to pray through every area where I had some sense that I was in God's way. My hurt, my feelings, my beliefs, my desires, my goals. And I just one by one took them and put them up on the shelf and said, stay there now. I don't want to be in God's way. I don't mean to be offensive with you today, but many of you have been in God's way all your life. And your heart has been hard. You've been very intellectual, but you haven't had the heart of Jesus. Our prayers are not going to be answered until we have the heart of Jesus. I continued to pray in this way and to receive and take hold of promises for a long time. I don't know how long. I prayed until my mind was so full that I was aware of it. I was on my feet. Before I was aware of it, I was on my feet, tripping down through the woods to the road. I did not really think about whether I'd been converted, but as I went up, Brushing through the leaves and the bushes, I recollect saying with great emphasis, if I am ever converted, I will preach the gospel. I soon reached the road that led to the village, and I began to reflect on what had passed. I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. I said to myself, what is this? I must have grieved the Holy Spirit entirely away. I've lost all my conviction. I don't have a particle of concern about my soul. It must be that the Spirit has left me. Indeed, I never was so far from being concerned about my salvation in my life. Then I remembered what I'd said to God while I was on my knees, that I would take him at his word. And so I recalled many things I'd said. I concluded that it was no wonder the Spirit had left me. I imagined that for such a sinner as I was, to take hold of God's word in that way was presumption, if not blasphemy. I concluded that if, in my excitement, I had grieved the Holy Spirit and perhaps committed the unpardonable sin. He had nobody to teach him. The Spirit of God had entered him. He was a converted man. He was born again by the Spirit 
not intellectually, but in reality. Not something you put out here on a, a board and examine one, two, three, four. No. He'd utterly given his, his heart to Jesus and he had taken hold of the promises of God. And there was peace in his heart. Today's one of those days like many where my heart is so at peace. It's hard to stand myself because of the total lack of concern. Yes, when I pray for you, I have concern. When I pray for others, a a compassion rises in my heart. But I'm not concerned about me. I'm standing by faith that Jesus will put me on or actually has me right now on the lathe and is cutting me down to size so that I'm small enough I can get out of God's way. I don't want to be in God's way for what he wants to do. There are too many people who need a touch of God. I don't want to be in the way of God touching you. I want to come and just speak a loving, honest word calling you to be crucified with Christ, calling you to die out and to seek your soul's salvation until there's peace and joy and life in your heart, that you would not deceive yourself in believing that you're saved just because you have religion. Religion never saved anybody. I don't like religion. I love Jesus, the person my God and my Savior, who died on Calvary's tree for me. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It went by very quickly. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. My heart is full of love and concern for you. I know there must be a great turning to the Lord in America. I'm asking him to raise up a standard of righteousness in this land. You can write to me. I'd love to hear from you. I need your help. We're still about $800 short for this month's radio broadcast. We buy this time from Weva. So write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I always check right after the broadcast to see if anyone has done that. I'm praying about that $800, and I ask, would you pray with me about it? God bless you, my brother, my sister. I hope today was helpful to you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. By the way, tomorrow is a day of prayer. Join us in prayer.